developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Billions of people have vision problems, and vision is more than 2020. Vision Beyond Sight will help you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Your vision does not define you, you define your vision. With Dr. Lin's new way to look at your life through a new lens, you will be ready to meet yourself and receive visualizations for miracles to come. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Lynn, and welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Today, visiting us with us is my friend, Jamie Sarche. Jamie is truly an amazing person, as you'll quickly see her passion, creativity, and influencing abilities. Today, we're going to talk about death and ritual. And you might ask, why am I doing a podcast on death when my passion is Vision Beyond Sight? Well, you'll soon find that out. Let me uh, share a little bit about Jamie. Jamie's calling is helping people be less afraid of death by arranging for them to provide their loved ones with a planned and funded funeral or memorial service. Together, they create a path for bereavement long before it's needed. Kind of sounds like creating a vision beyond sight to me. And by facing their mortality, her clients can live better, more meaningful lives. A seasoned speaker, Jamie brings deep experience in death care to a broad range of audiences around the country, sharing insights and approaches on how to have those difficult conversations and how to address sensitive issues. Extending well beyond death and dying, her message resonates across industries and individuals, bridging her passion to demystify death while enlightening communicators on overcoming challenging conversations. And in my perspective, it's like creating vision beyond sight again. Jamie grew up in Denver and went to DePaul University in Indiana. I've had a great opportunity uh, meeting Jamie and getting to know her through her community service to Denver. She's the president of the Jewish Women's Chamber of Commerce, and she's very active in issues such as uh, voting rights and spends a lot of time advocating and helping people live a better life. So Jamie, welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Thanks so much for having me, Lynn. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Well, thank you. So let's just cut through the chase. Why should we be talking about death? Well, it's fascinating to me. I'm thrilled um, to hear your take on it. And I agree with you completely that this really is about creating a path for your whole life and creating a path for your loved ones to walk on when they need it most. And hopefully that is really long in the future. And by embracing the fact that we're all mortal, we really can live more meaningfully and more purposefully. And so I just think it's incredibly important to be thinking about, you know, the end so that we can figure out what we want to do before we get there. 
Well, I know even with my own grandkids, these questions come up like, you're not going to die, right? And, you know, what do you what do you say? How do you answer those kinds of questions? Um, I think it's really important for kids to understand that we all die. Um, and I don't think we need to say it in a scary way. Um, I think we can say to them, you know, bodies have lifespans and I'm going to be around for a very long time and I will be here until you are a grown up. Um, but yes, I will die long, long, long in the future. And just like your fish dies, just like plants die, just like your puppy dies, you know, that's just what happens. And it's just really part of life. And I really do think that if we talk about it, um, it really makes it a lot less scary. It allows kids to ask a lot of questions. And sometimes we can just say, you know, I don't really know that answer, but here's what I believe. You know, if they ask is, you know, is there heaven or things like that? You could say, I, I of course don't know the answer, but here's my belief on it. Um, I also think it's incredibly important that we allow children to come to funerals. Um, it's really important for them to be able to say their last goodbyes, just like it's important for us to say our last goodbyes. And I also really think that we can be practicing some of this with our pets. Um, we can have ritual even around taking vegetables out of the garden, you know, because the vegetables are giving up their life to, to provide for us. And so it really is a possibility of really talking about that kind of stuff with kids from, from really the beginning of their life. Um, and I really think we should be doing it in the way we've learned to talk to kids about body parts and sex and reproduction, you know, where we use the correct terminology. Um, you know, a generation or two ago, we used to talk about somebody's pee-pee and their wee-wee and their hoo-ha. And now we've learned to use the correct terminology because using those euphemisms made kids think that their body parts are shameful and weird and that they shouldn't talk about them. Now that we use correct language, they understand that those are safe topics. Um, and I think we need to be doing that with death as well. And I get actually quite put out um, when people use terms like passed away or transitioned instead of saying that somebody died. That's so interesting, Jamie, because the lack of communication on all those topics you mentioned is such a big issue. Um, and you mentioned kids, but it, we even see that with adults. Uh, oh, we, we absolutely see it with adults. One of the things I see a lot is, you know, somebody will die, like, you, let's say somebody in, in the Buffalo shooting, you know, people even there will say that somebody passed away. And first of all, that's just not correct. They didn't in any way pass away. And by doing that, we separate ourselves from the truth. And then that doesn't allow us to do anything to kind of fix the issue either. You know, if we can acknowledge that somebody was massacred, um, perhaps we can actually figure out how to prevent that. But if we, if we don't use the right language, I don't know how we can ever understand what we're experiencing. And this is a question that we could speak on forever, but you know, why are we so resistant to have these kinds of conversations? Um, 
death being one of them, but whether it's, you mentioned sex and relationships and we, we go to all these years of school and rarely do we have any real training and teaching on how to truly have a conversation that's important and comes from truth. Oh, no question. And now I think our society is getting even deeper into the um, close your eyes and the things that scare you will go away kind of um, way of being in the world. So I just am a big believer that these taboos are really not healthy. Um, And I think that our society is really, um, you know, like toxically positive. And um, we don't want to talk about things that we perceive as, you know, I'll put it in quotation marks, negative. And so we really don't talk about grief. We don't learn to talk about the things that really are painful for people. Um, you know, if God forbid somebody gets assaulted, they're really told to, to keep that to themselves, you know, just in our body language or how we, we interact with them. When people are grieving, we give them a couple of days and then we kind of say, you know, don't come back to be with me until you can keep your grief under wraps because it makes me uncomfortable. Um, and I just really think that that's not healthy. It, it disconnects people from each other. Um, and it's really, really damaging. And so I am trying to help people to just acknowledge that all these things are part of our life. And that when we, when we turn on the lights, it's a lot less scary. Everything in the dark is scarier. I love that analogy. Turn on the lights, literally, um, which is great. And I'm sure your work, the people that come to you, uh, and I must say, from my own personal experience, you have such compassion and make it so easy to discuss. Um, And that's, that's your forte. But what I've seen, even before talking about death, so many people don't even have a plan uh, as they get older for estate planning or, right. or their houses or their debts. And I just wanted to share a quick story about that. Um, one of my uh, kids, uh, their husband lost many family members within several years, mm. uh, a father, a mother, a sister, and a grandfather. And that was a, within several years. And of course, there is no estate plan and wills uh, in some of this, some of their uh, lives. And so my son-in-law's task was to resolve everybody's estate that got all chunked together and one <sighs> received part of another that received part of another. There was a, uh, an estranged you know, ex-husband kind of thing in there. It was such a mess. And what <sighs> I... It was painful. It was years because he also had to unpack the house of everybody's belongings and clean it out and sell it. And what I learned at that moment was most of us want to wish uh, leave our families something, you know, whether it's money or uh, assets or something. But I know what I don't want to leave is a mess, a legal mess, a financial mess. Yes. And, and it was from lack of conversation and fear and not getting around at all the excuses in the world to not address taking care of our lives. Yeah, and it is. That's such a fascinating thing. And it really is fear-based. Um, and, 
having a plan, having your estate in order, having your powers of attorney, having a will, having all these things, having a funeral plan, they don't make things happen. The question just becomes, do you die with a plan or do you die without a plan? And as you you know, said, I mean, as grownups, we should be taking care of our own mess. We shouldn't be dumping that on other people. And, and that is really what I try to get across to people and help them to get this piece done. And, you know, quite honestly, death is the only thing that we know is going to happen. So right. let's just get it taken care of. Well, that's so true. And, um, you know, I tell people about the only thing they can control are their thoughts and their visualizations. So, you know, let's get down to the basics here. Yes. So, Jamie, share with our listeners the details of what is a funeral plan? So the the very basic, the foundational choice in a funeral plan is going to be what is the method of disposition? And there are a number of methods that people are pretty familiar with, and then a number of methods that are new and might not be available everywhere, but they are available in Colorado. So, you know, we're probably pretty um, aware of traditional burial, which means embalming, likely a metal casket, likely a metal vault, which is kind of a casket container, a grave liner. Um, we're pretty familiar with that. That's very typical kind of in Christian and Catholic settings. Um, and, and the embalming is um, typically done when there's going to be an open casket. Um, there's also green burial. Uh, and that's something Feldman Mortuary, where I work, specializes. Um, that's no embalming. An all wood casket or some other biodegradable casket maybe even no casket. Um, and that's very typical in um, Jewish uh, communities and Muslim communities to do it that way. And then the other thing that people know is fire cremation. Um, the interesting thing though with fire cremation is a lot of people think it is environmentally friendly and it's actually really bad for the environment and is really a contributor to climate change. And it's also a really brutal process to the body. So what happens is the body gets placed in um, what's called a retort. It's the oven with an open flame. Um, and the, it's at about 1800 degrees. And the flame um, incinerates the tissue, the, the muscle, the, um, you know, the organs, that kind of stuff. And when that's all burned away, the bones are left. And the bones are put through um, a processor, which is called a cremulator. And so what we think of as ash is actually ground bone. And in the case of fire cremation, it's filled with fossil fuel. So it's devoid of any nutrients because of the burning. And then it's filled with, you know, gas. And so when people go to scatter it or they use it to plant a rose bush or whatever, it often will kill those plants. So it's really environmentally incredibly negative in addition to really being very um, brutal to the body. And a lot of people will say to me, well, who cares? You're dead. 
but you know, our bodies are the way we know each other. And I just think that a body deserves to be treated with more kindness and more compassion. And so, um, while if somebody wants fire cremation, that's fine. Um, I just always want people to know what they're getting and make sure it fits their values. Um, in Colorado, there's a number of environmentally friendly choices. Um, in addition to green burial, there is something called um, alkaline hydrolysis. That's the scientific name. Um, people are referring to it as water cremation or aquamation. Actually, Desmond Tutu had this, um, and the body is placed in a vessel with, um, in our system, about 30 gallons of water and an alkali that is similar to liquid soap. Um, the alkali breaks down the tissues and the organs, and, um, and then that solution is filled with nutrients and is typically taken to a flower farm. What's left are the bones, which again are put through a processor and we could sort of think of them as ash, but they are still filled with nutrients. Um, They're very natural and pure. And so if you wanna scatter them, if you wanna um, plant a rose bush, it actually is good for the environment. It is good for plants. Um, and if you want to get some of the solution, you can, and you get little dropper bottles full that, you know, you could take places that you want to bring your loved one, or you could scatter those ashes like, like you might with fire cremation. Um, but it really is much more of what people think fire cremation is. Um, and so I'm always happy to um, guide people toward what actually meets their values. Um, the last option in Colorado is actually body composting. And keep in mind, if you bury in a green way in a cemetery, your body will eventually, and not too long, will become um, soil. Um, probably in several years, the bones probably take several more years. But um, in, in this situation, in a body composting situation, that is outside of a grave. It's actually in a vessel, which is known as a chrysalis. And the body is placed in that box with um, alfalfa and wood chips. It's about a four to one ratio of the organic matter to the body. There's really good oxygenation and the um, organic matter and our gut bacteria um, break down the body and um, really just decompose it very, very quickly, um, typically in about four months. The bones won't compost in that time frame. So about midway through when all the tissue has been composted, the bones are again put through a processor to reduce them so that they can turn to compost. They're put back into the box um, and then they also turn to compost. And at the end of that, there's nothing human about it. There's no DNA. Um, it's not mom anymore, but people probably still will interact with it like it is. So if they want to get some of it back, they can, but it's about a whole truck bed full. So most of us don't have places to put that much soil. Um, so you just get as much as you want. Maybe you get an urn full or two that you could scatter places or plant a rose bush or whatever. In Colorado, um, the law says that you're not allowed to use it on food, 
Um, so that compost couldn't be sold to, you know, uh, agricultural places. But what happens with it is it, um, the family gets whatever they want, and then the rest is donated to restore land, and it actually sequesters carbon. So not only is it not detrimental to the earth, it's actually beneficial to the earth. So there's just really a lot to think about. And if you don't want something that is your typical, if you're not looking for fire cremation, it's really important to do this step ahead of time because when somebody dies, people aren't thinking. And there's only a few funeral homes that offer these other options. And if you go to a funeral home that doesn't, you know, your loved one is in their care, it would be very hard to move to a different funeral home if that's something you wanted to do. Well, totally. Uh, Jamie, I know these green options are new, new thoughts for many people. And I'd love to get back to that after we take a quick break. Um, and we'll be back in just a couple minutes. Discover the power of the seeing brain the creator of your true vision. Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's number one bestseller book, Expand Your Vision, helps you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Remove roadblocks and visualize your new lens to see and experience your world. Get Expand Your Vision on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Welcome back. This is Dr. Lynn, and we're with Jamie Sarchet today, and she's been talking about death and ritual. If you heard the first part of our podcast, she has really shared many of the new options that are available for people to choose uh, that are available in Colorado that are green options and, you know, things that really can be done to your loved ones um, after they die and also be beneficial and good for our earth. What I loved hearing you speak about was your, your thoughts about how to treat the body after somebody actually has died and bringing, mm -hmm. bringing in the kindness perspective. And this is taking kindness beyond the physical body. This is kindness energetically, kindness yes. in this world. And that so touched me in looking at some of these other options um, uh, that we just don't even know about it. Right. So Jamie, are these options available in other states? Is there reasons they're legal or not legal? Yeah, um, they. I, I know that aquamation alkaline hydrolysis is available in about 12 states. I couldn't tell you what they are. Um, and body composting is, um, is legal um, and available in Washington state. It's legal in Oregon and um, California and is about to be legalized, I believe, in New York. However, I'm not sure anyone is yet doing it in those places. So as far as I know, um, it's only being done currently in Washington or Colorado. However, if it's something you want, your body could be flown to Washington or Colorado to have it done. So you don't have to die in a state in which it's available um, to have it done. And kind of keeping in mind when you're thinking about this sort of, you know, you want to lessen your carbon footprint, your body would go on a plane 
So, you know, that might feel like that's a lot of use of carbon. However, that plane is going whether your body's on it or not. So um, I think that if you want these options, absolutely, you could go to one of these places. What is the resistance? Is it that it's just new thinking, um, new I thoughts? I think the resistance is really our resistance to talking about death. Um, you know, I was in the legislature when we were legalizing body composting, and there's just no reason that it shouldn't be legal. I mean, it's it's good for the environment. It's gentler to the body. There's no reason that it shouldn't be legal. There's some resistance from the um, from the corporate funeral homes because they're not doing it, and they don't want anybody else to do it. You know, they don't want people to be playing in their sandbox. So that's an issue. And most funeral homes are are owned corporately, and so there is a lot of resistance in that way. But then from the legislature, the resistance I felt was really like, we have so much discomfort in talking about death. There was like all this giggling and like, they just, it's just hard for them to talk about it. And even like the idea that you cannot use this compost on food, um, growing food, it's not because there's anything wrong with it. It's because of an ick factor. And, and so, you know, I, I just wish we would be more comfortable in talking about the one experience aside from birth that every one of us is going to have. That's right. Now, do you uh, have workshops, uh, lectures? How could people find out more about this? I do. Thank you for asking that. Sure. Um, first of all, you could Google my name and I have a lot of videos online. I have a TED talk. I have an Eli talk, which is really um, about Jewish ritual and why that's beneficial. Um, if you're in the Denver area, um, there's a four week um, series that I'm putting together um, starting in August um, at a retirement community on Leedsdale and Holly. So that's going to be available. Um, and um, I'm always very, very happy to chat with anybody who'd just like to learn more. Uh, what's the topics of the ones that uh, your August four week uh, so program? There's one on caregiving and how to advocate as a caregiver. There's one on having a celebration of life, how to create meaningful rituals. And that's um, um, by a guy named Ben Martin, who is a celebrant. Um, the third one is Maggie Gannon, who has a company called My Living Obituary, and she's going to talk about creating your legacy to share with people after your death. And then I will be talking for an hour about green options and how to how, how to meet your values. And what I do in my talks is really very much answer questions. Uh-huh. So this would be a great way for anybody, whether it's the kid. Uh, worried about their parents or grandparents or the grandparent worried about their family to yes. start the conversation to to attend one of your workshops or listen to a YouTube and because after just starting you know I've gone to several of your workshops and they've been great and what it does is opens up the conversation well what do you think about this and what would you do and uh, right. this would be a really great way for families to start this discussion. I couldn't agree more. And I really do think that there, you know, even if you just want to do it from this podcast and say, I was listening to this podcast, can we just start talking about this? And again, it doesn't make anything happen. 
And what I've really found is that people are afraid if they bring it up to their loved ones, that their loved ones will think that they want them to die. Right. And so it's just this very deeply psychologically traumatic thing. And I think we just have to figure out a way to get past that. Yeah. And this is what, what a great way. And that's really one of the purposes of my podcast is to bring new things to people that are beyond the typical or beyond what people see or have heard and, and then hope they share it with others. And um, really they're the ones that really create their vision. Their vision doesn't create them. They create their vision. And, and this is an opportunity to uh, live your life as beautifully as you'd love to knowing that when it's time to be done and you die, that your family you've really helped your family out and given direction and make life much easier for them. You know, it's such a great point. I heard something so wonderful from a colleague of mine last night. Um, and she said that what we remember are the ends of things. So if we want to give our loved ones really a nice experience of us, it's really important that the end be something that is calm and, and, you know, planned out and, and peaceful and is a nice transition, you know, so we really sort of can pass away when we die. Um, and that really will help them to feel even, even better about us, to remember us in a really beautiful way, because the end will be something that was, you know, healing for them. Well, you bringing that up just, you know, triggered my mind with when my mom died almost uh, 18 years ago or so, her last 41 days that she was in the hospital, mm. the entire family gathered at the hospital. They actually gave us a room that we could stay in overnight. And those last 41 days, we still have so many stories. We all loved our mom. We had so many stories about her anyways, but that last 41 days of ending, of being together, being with her, speaking what hasn't been spoken and sharing, um, still, I could, you know, I could tell you story after story about that. And it's so interesting you brought that up about the end. And what's sad is a lot of people don't have that opportunity if there's right. been a tragic death or, or what's really sad is when families are separated and haven't spoken to each other for years. Right. And then somebody gets sick or they, they die and there hasn't been that time to heal why that person's alive. Right. But the ritual hopefully can be somewhat healing. Um, and if the plans are made ahead of time, especially for families with dysfunction, and come on, let's be honest, most families have some dysfunction. <laughs> um, if the plans are made ahead of time, there isn't the opportunity to have a lot of difficulty right then you know, because it's, they don't have to come into a funeral home and sit in a small room and make 120 very important decisions because those decisions were made years ago and they all feel like they're doing the right thing for the person. And, and it really does give them a sense of completeness and avoids a lot of negative stuff that can happen at that time. You know, right. mom loved you best kind of things come up at that time. You know, the argument we had at the end was we all thought that mom loved each of us the best. 
Oh, I love that so much. How sweet is that, isn't it? How sweet is that? My my husband's family, it's like that too. They all argue about who's the favorite. <laughs> <laughs> isn't that great? Uh, yes. Jamie, you've mentioned ritual a couple times. Um, tell us more about the importance of ritual and what some of these rituals are. Oh, thanks for asking, Lynn. You know, when when there's a life transition, when there's a milestone Ritual helps us to understand it. And ritual gives us the context and helps us figure out how to feel. I always ask people if they know why we wear a cap and gown at um, a graduation. Lynn, do you know why? I don't. I don't either. We just (laughs) do. That's what you do. And have you ever been like to a birthday party where they serve pie? Like if there's something, it feels like wrong. And so it's just so important that we have ritual and it can look a lot of different ways. People really associate ritual with religion and religion has a lot of ritual, but ritual is important for its own sake. So even if you're agnostic or you're an atheist or you you know, have moved away from the religion that you grew up in, it doesn't have meaning for you, Ritual is still very important. And death is something that is very hard to understand psychologically. We don't have words for it. And so ritual helps us to move in that time. It helps us to have the, the path to on which to walk. So one of the things I really love is Jewish tradition, which quite honestly, anyone could harness. You do not have to be Jewish to use it, but Judaism really acknowledges that death is painful. Um, Losing a loved one hurts. And so we bury because we want to tuck people into the ground and they should go back to the earth. You know, we're all made from the earth and we should go back to the earth. And it is our obligation to physically bury our loved one. It's the community's obligation. And so we literally shovel the dirt into the grave. And when you hear the dirt hitting the casket, there is no denial about what is happening. And you just really feel it in your guts. And it helps the grief to move. And then um, you're given a whole week that your job is to just process what you're dealing with. You step away from your job. Um, People are supposed to bring you food. They're supposed to take care of you you're not even obligated to shower during that time. You should just be processing the, trying to create your new normal, understanding what has happened and figuring out what comes next. And then there's like a 30 day tradition. There's yard site every year to really remember that loss, which really helps us recognize that grief is a lifelong practice. Um, So that is really, really helpful. And lots of religious traditions have ritual around death. Again, like if you're not a religious person, if you're not connected to a religious tradition, it is still really great to figure out what is some sort of meaningful time that people could come together. And just really having somebody in charge who sort of says, you know, here's this person's life story? Would anyone else like to tell a story about them? But just being in a communal time 
just really helps us to start moving forward and feel support. And it really is incredibly important. And, and it does not have to be, you know, some high priest in a robe um, intoning on somebody. It could be somebody reading Jane Austen. You know, it just depends on what is right for, for that person and the people who love that person. But we have to create it ahead of time or it doesn't happen. And then we're left without the ability to process this stuff. Well, that was beautiful. And I know that's when there's a lot of things I love about the Jewish ritual in that you're buried in 24 hours uh, unless there's some exceptional um, but most of the time it's 24 hours and the week of processing, it's always been challenging for me when somebody I, I love um, has died and they're probably not Jewish and they'll plan a memorial service a month later. And yeah. And sometimes it's six or seven months later. Right. Um, can we go back for just a second? A lot of people think that Jew Jewish traditions has 24 hours. And quite honestly, in my experience, it's rarely 24 hours. Um, it is as soon as possible. Um, so often it's 48 to, to 72, but it is quick and there's no kind of hanging around waiting. And I really do think that that's important because that liminal space of somebody died until some sort of ceremony is held is very, it's very much a limbo. And you think, what do I do? I really can't be in my normal life. Um, what do I do? And so having that kind of thing as soon as possible is incredibly helpful. Well, I sure think so. And I just can't even imagine the pain that people have gone through these last several years with <sighs> the pandemic when, thank goodness for Zoom, for at least some type of community support, but going through this alone without being with their loved one, often during the dying process, and then being at home by yourself uh, in yes. a lot of cases. I, and that's I just like don't... a secondary loss. Yes, yes. I can't imagine. I think we're just beginning to see some of the impact that may have on people's lives in continuing their life. Uh, yes. There's just I totally, a... totally agree with you. It really is challenging. Yeah, very... And again, like not having community. But that's been one in my mind. That's one of the silver linings of COVID is that people, number one, now seem to understand much more deeply that we're all vulnerable, that we all die. And they are really understanding how important community is and, and, and having people around who, who know you, who love you, who love the person who died, or at least know the person who died or know you. It's just really, really important. And I think that COVID has helped people to really understand that. Yeah, that loss has been painful and hopefully people can learn that, use that as a learning lesson and yes. not forget the importance of community to be there as we're all getting busier now in our lives. And, yes. and you know, it's easy to, to forget the importance of that. And I, and I think that that's truly one of the most important things of life is community. Yes, I agree completely. Well, Jamie, is there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up today? Well, I just want to share how grateful I am to you, Lynn. I mean, I have learned so much from you in our connections and really today. So thank you so much for all you do 
to build community and all that you do to help people to create the life that they want to live. Well, thank you, Jamie. I'm totally touched and moved by that. You're, you're always inspiring and bring such great words of wisdom. And you have helped me open up to speak about death and many other tough topics and be much more open and be my truth. So I encourage all of our listeners, check Jamie out. You can Google Jamie. Uh, her, I want to make sure uh, people have her last name, S-A-R-C-H-E. We'll have show notes that uh, will have your information. Uh, she's on LinkedIn. Uh, look her up, uh, especially on YouTube. Listen to some of her workshops, her TED Talk, and start having these tough conversations with family. They are tough, but what it opens up is a world of heart connection. And so I truly encourage you all to take the next step. Well, thanks to all of you for uh, joining us today. Remember... You create your vision. Your vision does not create you. And we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today on Vision Beyond Sight. Join Dr. Lynn Hellerstein each week to help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Remember, your vision does not define you. You define your vision. For more information and find additional podcasts, visit lynnhellerstein.com. See you next time on Vision Beyond Sight.